0: Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Bad job descriptions breed
1: bad hires. And a lot of other issues too. So success in building an outstanding organization and mitigating legal risk starts with the quality of your job description. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to discuss and deconstruct insights from top-performing entrepreneurs and industry experts. Every week, we uncover tested tactical solutions to solve your company's toughest hiring challenges. Today, we have a a special guest, Robert Janowitz, the partner and labor attorney of Fisher-Phillips. He's actually a partner in the Irvine office of um, the National Law Firm, one of the oldest and largest firms in the country practicing exclusively in labor and employment law, representing management. Uh, Prior to practicing law, he also worked for the United States Senate Judiciary Committee subcommittee on courts. Um, He's a a proven uh, expert with um, many aspects of, of labor and employment law, including litigation, harassment, discrimination, retaliation, wrongful termination, and wage hour class action claims, drafting key employment agreements and incentive compensation plans. Robert also developed and is the co chair of his firm's Nationwide Unfair Competition and Trade Secrets Practice Group and has published numerous chapters, articles, and lectures on the benefits of arbitration, drafting employment agreements, and prevention of employee theft of trade secrets. Well, um, I want to offer a, a large um, higher power welcome to Robert Janowitz. Robert, thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. Absolutely. So. Uh, things we're going to cover today. Um, we got some good stuff because um, both you and I are big proponents of job descriptions, the importance of, of really writing job descriptions that are effective and communicative and people understand things. So we're going to cover what a job description is supposed to be, why it's important to have well-written job descriptions, and then tell you how to write something that uh, is an effective job description. So let's start with... Um, in your opinion, Robert, why would you say job descriptions are so bad these days?
2: Well, I think they're uh, they're bad for quite a lot of reasons, actually. Uh, number one, I think too often people go to uh, websites or other places to find forms that may have worked for the particular job that the person was drafting them had in mind, mm-hmm. but they're trying to make a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. And, and when you do that, that really defeats the purpose of a job description. But the biggest single problem I would say is, is that most people really don't understand what the purpose of a job description is. And there really are a couple of different purposes. There's one I know you and I have spoken in the past about uh, the marketing benefits of job descriptions, and I know we'll speak about that later on today. But uh, from my perspective as an employment attorney, um, I look at job descriptions differently. I see that job descriptions really have some key components uh, in terms of their utilization that people don't recognize. Specifically, job descriptions from my perspective aren't just about getting the right person for the job. Uh, There is a defensive driving element to job descriptions that most people overlook. And from my perspective, what I see is that job descriptions today don't do a good enough job of recognizing that job descriptions are there to help companies navigate the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act by identifying essential functions of the job. Uh, They don't do a good enough job in recognizing that Job descriptions are also used to determine whether an employee is exempt from overtime or not exempt from overtime. And the only way they can do that is by adequately going into the detail of the duties that the people are actually going to be performing. Yeah. Um, And then finally, I don't think that uh, most employers don't look at job descriptions as an assessment tool. They think that it's basically created uh, at the beginning to get somebody in the job, but they don't realize what it really is supposed to be as a benchmarking tool for what the expectations of performance are. Once somebody actually gets the job.
1: Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I met with a, a company a couple months ago where we were talking about their job descriptions. And I said, who wrote your job descriptions? So let's talk a little bit about kind of from a marketing perspective, what, why, this is, why this would attract somebody, right? And uh, what was interesting was they said, well, we just pulled some job descriptions from our competitors. We changed the
2: wording and just plugged them back up there. And, and and I would tell you that is more often than not the case. I know because yeah. people kind of think they are a bit of a throwaway within the uh, within the uh, hiring environment, and not recognizing the power that a ju- a good job description has, not only to attract talent, but also in terms of uh, utilizing it as a uh, as a tool in the employment relationship for the reasons I mentioned before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to dig into that because that's that's pretty important that we should knock home to have people is that. It is a tool and it's something you should, if you go into college and you take a class, you get a syllabus before you start, right? Of course. So isn't this in in essence a syllabus that you give that person to to tell them how to succeed? Absolutely. In In fact, I
2: I would tell you that, you know, where most employers fail in this regard is I don't think you should ever even begin the interview of an applicant until they have seen the full-blown job description. Yeah. Uh, and so often you don't see a job description until you're onboarding the person. To me, how would the person know what the job they're applying for unless they actually get to see the details of what it is? Yeah. And how do you know whether this person's a right fit for the job unless in the interview process you've been able to vet them about some of the things that are required in terms of the essential functions of the position to see whether this is a kind of person that's got the skill sets and mastery to fill the job that you need them for?
1: And And, you know, one of the things I find is that most companies don't know what the job is. Yes, that that's the core problem. They they just we have some work we need done, right? So let's just write a job description and see if we can find somebody to do it.
2: Well, you know it's funny. Uh, the average American spends tens and tens of hours figuring out what car they want to buy, and they're look, <laughs> and they're looking at the details yeah. of well, what's the, what kind of interior? What color is it? Electric, gas. All the different uh, variables that goes into making a car purchase, which at the end of the day cannot create millions of dollars of potential Mm -hmm. liability if you buy the wrong car. On the other hand, when you take a look at the fact that the average uh, job, if you hire the wrong person, can result in employment litigation that could result in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of liability, most employers don't really think about identifying what their needs are before they start the interview process. And a good job description really is designed to help the employer understand, what am I hiring for? Yeah. What are those tasks that I need to have performed? Yeah. And what is the output that I need from this position in order to achieve the objectives that I have for my business?
1: Yeah. And then what kind of person is going to actually fit into this role effectively and be able to communicate that on a piece of paper? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so Robert Yonner, we from Fisher Phillips. So how do we use these job descriptions in the workplace?
2: Well, I, I think that, uh, as, as I alluded to earlier, I think there are several places in the employee timeline or applicant and employee timeline that I believe the job descriptions are very valuable. Sure. Um, obviously, at the application stage, it's important that you're identifying the essential functions of the job, including the physical requirements of the job. Because one of the things you have to identify in the application process is whether the applicant can perform the essential functions of the job with or without an accommodation. It's very hard for an employer after the fact to say, well, you know what? We had a 50-pound lifting requirement that was essential, and now you're telling me after I've already hired you, you can only lift 20 pounds? You're gone? Well, what's going to happen is they're going to get sued under the ADA for disability discrimination, and they're not going to be believed that it was an essential function of the job if it wasn't in the job description. On the other hand, if the job description says one of the requirements is you have to be able to lift 50 pounds on a repetitive basis, you're gonna have a lot of credibility as an employer that that's one of the key components of an essential function of the job. Absolutely, okay.
1: So we have lawsuit prevention. You've got ADA accommodation. What about using it as a tool for performance review and disciplinary?
2: So once we've hired the person, I think that the other components or other points in the timeline that you can really be utilizing a job description, uh, first as uh, a benchmarking tool on annual evaluation. Damn. A good job description should be identifying by quantity and quality what the output is they're looking for in the position. Yeah, The person's either gonna meet those objectives or they're not, and comes time for annual review, that's a way for you to go ahead and use it as a measuring tool. Um, Absolutely. Similarly, when it gets worse than even being able to wait to annual evaluation, the job description provides credibility in the performance discipline process. By going ahead and accurately describing in the job description the components of performance and the duties that need to be performed, when the employee is not doing the job that's expected of them, one of the most common refrains that you'll hear from an employee is, well, you never told me that was part of my job. Yeah. I didn't know that was my responsibility. Got it. To which we want the credibility as the employer to be able to say, well, hang on a second. Is that your signature at the bottom of this job description? When I gave this to you, it was there to identify for you what the key components of performance were that we were looking for in the job. You didn't do these items on a repetitive basis, and that's why we're either counseling you to get it better or, unfortunately, sometimes we're terminating you because you couldn't get it right.
1: Got it. So, um, and and that's, that's something that, again, that goes back to the syllabus comment, right? I mean, if you've got a benchmark or a road laid out, I like to see 90 day and one year kind of standards built into a job description. And that's what we try to do when we build out job descriptions.
2: I certainly think that in the employment process, the best friend of the employer is transparency and fairness. Yeah. The more we can identify for the employee what they need to do to be successful, the more likely they will be successful. And if they're not successful, it isn't going to be because we haven't told them. And therefore, we've got the fairness and the transparency. And those two key components are really what helps employers from getting sued in this very volatile litigation environment that we're in.
1: Yeah. And I think last year, litigation was up
2: quite a bit, right? Quite a bit.
1: Wow. So we're talking about really two different types of job descriptions. So just so our listeners aren't confused, you should have an internal and then maybe an outward external or, or marketing-based one that you put out on job boards to attract people, correct?
2: Yes, I I certainly think that the uh, that the fundamentals of the kind of job description I'm describing may not be your necessarily your best recruiting tool to get somebody to respond to an ad because it's uh, while accurate, it's a little dry. Yeah, I certainly think putting together more of a marketing job description to the uh, to the community as you're looking for applicants and letting them know this is a 10,000 foot overview of the job designed to entice you to see if you're interested in applying is a very valuable tool to be using. But then once we actually have the applicants applying for the position, we want the more exactitudes of the kind of job description I'm describing, which does that defensive driving component.
1: All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Robert Janowitz, partner and labor attorney at Fisher Phillips. When we come back, we're going to actually uh, break down uh, job description in more depth and talk a little bit about how you can make an effective job description for your company. Be right back.
0: You're listening to Hire Power with Rick Gerard, giving you access to recruiting techniques that will help you hire key talent to build your company towards real success. Rick is a recruiting executive and entrepreneur who's been successfully recruiting in the aggressive Silicon Valley technology landscape for the past two decades. After a very successful stint at Apogee, he founded Stride Search in 2012. Based on a lean efficiency model, Stride has uniquely positioned itself as a leader in retained search for the most critical talent hires within a small organization. Whether you're a startup executive or recruiting professional, by listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard, you will walk away with skills to help you attract and hire great talent. Now, back to Higher Power with Rick Gerard. And
1: welcome back to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And today, our guest is Robert Janowitz, partner and labor attorney at Fisher Phillips. So we just discussed some uh, key things about a component, well, key components about what a job description is and what needs to be in a comprehensive job description in order for you to make things happen. So now we're going to talk about uh, distinguishing between, you know, you, uh, Robert, you mentioned defensive driving job description, which is kind of where we want to get into and, and talk about really um, how how we take that job description and what elements need to be in
2: it to uh, to be effective? Sure. So let me kind of break Thanks it down. Thanks for hearing me on that one. <laughs> um, let, let, let me break it down in a couple of categories. Sure. So first, I think a good job description, because of those ADA issues that we talked about, should be identifying the essential functions of the job, mm-hmm. as well as the essential physical requirements of the job. Okay. When we're talking about the essential functions of the job, I'm not necessarily talking just about how they spend their time, but a good description of the duties themselves so we understand the physicality of them so that if we later have an employee that has a disability, we can determine whether we have to accommodate them or not because we only have to accommodate somebody if they can perform the essential functions of the job with or without an accommodation. Got it. The second component of a job description, this is more for the wage hour purposes, is I'm a big fan of breaking down the job duties of a job description. By the anticipated percentage of work week that you contemplate that the employee is gonna spend in the job. Got it. To understand why, uh briefly, if you understand the rules regarding whether somebody's exempt or non-exempt from overtime, the key standard is about how they're spending more than fifty percent of their time. If they're spending more than fifty percent of their time in what the law categorizes as exempt functions, well, then they're an exempt person and then you don't have to pay them overtime.
1: What is an exempt function?
2: So it can be managing people. Okay. Uh, it can be going ahead and can engaging in administrative tasks without supervision that directly affect the bottom line of the business. Okay. So, you know, these are more leadership type functions, but not necessarily supervisory where they're exercising independent judgment and discretion in the job that they're doing. And so what I'm suggesting is that you need to go ahead and identify each of the duties that they're doing and allocate a percentage of workweek time to each of them so that in identifying whether you've hit the better than 50% mark, it becomes a counting exercise. You're looking at all the duties, you're seeing which ones add up to more than 50%, and then you're identifying whether those functions or duties themselves qualify as exempt functions or not exempt functions. And One last thing I want to mention about that, don't try that at home. This is a really (laughs) important time. When you need to speak to your attorney. Don't try that at home. Uh, when you need to speak to your attorney or your HR consultant, because these l- the rules regarding exemptions are complicated, and they become the basis of a lot of litigation, including wage hour class action. So... It's important, though, to go ahead and break down those things by percentage so you can figure out exemption, but work with your professional.
1: So the, these are more important probably for hourly and salaried employees? It's, well, it's important for both of non-management? them.
2: non-management? It, it's important for both of them to distinguish which is which. Okay. Uh, so I think whether it's the uh, the, the chief financial officer, or the chief bottle washer. Yeah. Every one of them should have their their job functions broken down by anticipated percentage of time. And again, not only just for exemption purposes, but also because you want to make sure they're spending their time the way that you expect them to spend their time. Yeah, if they know. And and one of the things that it does is it forces you as the employer before you start the interview process to really analyze how you want this person spending their time. And and I, I will digress for a second to just say that people often ask, well, how the heck do you get started on that? Yeah. Well, to me, the best way to do this is you find the person in your organization who's already performing the job, who's doing it really well, and you talk to them or more importantly, you talk to their supervisor and you ask them, tell me how Johnny's spending his time. Johnny's a good employee. He's really doing what we want in that job. Mr. Supervisor, can you tell me how is Johnny spending his day? Yeah. And from there, you get to reverse engineer what those duties are. And how much time they should be spending on them on a weekly basis. So what if it's
1: a new position or you're an entrepreneur starting up a new company?
2: So when it's a a new position or you're an entrepreneur, certainly you can look to trade associations or others in the industry to get some benchmarks. But I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that the law pays great deference to what an employer's expectations are. So you as as the employer, you can design the expectations as to how you think They should be, recognizing that job descriptions are not the Ten Commandments, they're not written in stone. And if you guess wrong, you can always, since these are at-will employees, you can modify your job descriptions as you go along and as you see the needs of the business progress. So what's important is that you at least put the
1: time in to think about it, write it down, get it on paper, and make sure that the
2: other person knows what your expectations are. I think so. Remember, a wrong hiring decision doesn't just create future turnover. Yeah. A wrong hiring decision creates potential lawsuits. It creates dissension and a breakdown of morale in the organization. So true. And so we want to do great hiring practices to make sure that we're bringing in the kind of candidates that are going to fit within our environment. And it starts with clear expectations set forth in that job description that identifies for them what they need to do, what's going to be expected, and how we define success.
1: And, and, you know, and what's so true about that too is that People who are solid performers, people who are A, like what I like to call A players, right? They tend to be impressed by the fact that you did that legwork up front and actually put the thought in to make sure that they know what your expectations are.
2: What? 100%. so your
1: chances of getting that person are so much greater because of the fact that you took that time to do that.
2: Remember this. When we were kids in school we defined our success by those quarterly marking periods when we would get grades and they set the standards for us and we knew what we were working towards. Well, I promise you that employees are no different. They want a clearly defined path to success because most employees are good employees and they want to be successful. They want to get raises. They want to have long-term careers. And so the more that we can do to show them that we've thought out what it takes to be successful so that they won't be surprised the more they're going to think that you've got great management, the more they are going to think that you've got great vision in yeah. terms of where your business is going.
1: And I've been guilty of this myself, not properly writing things down in the past. And it's bit me in the butt more times than than not. So <laughs> I can attest to it. I've failed there quite a few times. So, um, okay, so the defensive job description. Um, so we have those. Any other components that need to be put in there?
2: Yes. The, the last one, again, is because we're going to use this as a performance evaluation and potential disciplinary tool for poor performance. Sure. One of the things, and so often I don't see this, you know, you'll get a lot of job descriptions where they'll have the lifting requirements and bending requirements and yeah. those various physicalities associated with the job. But the expectations of performance, the output that we want from that position, oftentimes the employer isn't thinking about. It. And that's foolish because you're hiring somebody because you have a job to be done. Yeah. You have these needs. You know, in sales, it's easy because you can benchmark it by sales output. But every job has output expectations of what you are anticipating you need. yeah. And the key is, think about it up front. By identifying and benchmarking what those expectations of performance are, on an annual evaluation, you can benchmark them against how they did against the job description, tell them where to improve. And in poor performance, it's even more important because when we're going to discipline somebody We abide by a rule called NEAT. NEAT stands for Notice, Explanation, Assistance, and Time. Okay. It's all part of that transparency and fairness that I've been chatting with you about. Sure. We want to tell employees, look, we're giving you notice. This is what was expected of you. Here's, and you know that from the job description, here's where you've fallen short. We're going to help you now and show you how to make this better. But if you don't, you have to own it and you'll be subject to discipline up to and including the termination of your employment. If you don't improve in these areas yeah. and what that job description does is it makes it clear that this wasn't an after the fact rationalization for why you're punishing the employee for some nefarious reason. Yeah, You get to say, no, no, no. I told you from the beginning, this is what I expected of you. This is just the performance you put on the field and I'm bringing it to your attention that we're dissatisfied and that you need to improve.
1: And then it's important too, that management use that tool when it's supposed to be used. So if you have performance, metrics that are built in at 90 days or 180 wherever you need to use it you need to make sure that you bring it up and
2: not not late absolutely the the, the worst thing an employer can do is be overly polite it's more important to be exact yeah when you don't tell all the legitimate non-discriminatory non-retaliatory business reasons for why you're making a decision about an employee you're going to have a higher likelihood of getting sued for discrimination or harassment or one of the many other things yeah conversely when you are communicative. You know, it's like I always like to say, a good termination is one that comes as no surprise to anybody. And so by benchmarking those things in the job description, by reinforcing them at annual evaluation, by counseling and disciplining where you need to, where performance is substandard, it's not going to come as a surprise when it's time to say goodbye because they're going to know it's coming.
1: Is there such thing as good termination?
2: <laughs> it's never a happy day, but sometimes yeah. it's important to be able to go ahead and move, move the business forward yeah. and uh, maintain the morale of the remaining employees and who are trying And sometimes it's
1: to better for that person who's leaving.
2: Yes. You know, they're not just everything probably is a not good in fit. the right role. Yeah. So uh, what are those three components again, just so we kind of remind the audience? So again, we're going to want to make sure that we identify uh, by percentage of work week, yep. how the individual is spending their job duties. Okay. Uh, we're going to want to go ahead and make sure that we are, we are benchmarking uh, performance indicators uh, of what that expectation of performance is. And for the ADA purposes, we're also wanting to make sure that we're identifying what those physical requirements are of the job and so we can identify those essential functions in the event that we have to later on talk about whether we need to provide an accommodation to somebody that may or may not have a disability.
1: Now, you find a candidate, you say you recommend that you share this job description with them prior to them coming in for the interview, correct? Yes. So when they joined, you have them sign off on the bottom of it, hey, I agree to terms and conditions of this?
2: 100%. It's on on their first day of uh, of onboarding, right along with the statements that will say, but as an at-will employee, we reserve the right to, of course, change these things from time to time on a go-forward basis. So it's not a living in stone document. It's a evolving document that may change depending on the needs of the business.
1: Yeah, that's some really, really good stuff. And I I hope that our audience listens to it and actually takes it to heart and starts starts developing effective job descriptions. Now, what we see on the internet most of the time is what I call marketing job descriptions, right? Um, One of the things that I see on those is you have a wish list of requirements. I have a question for you because this is something that I think is silly. You'll have five years of this, four years of that requirements for the job, right? Is that something that could be used against you if you are sued? Because let's say, for example, maybe a discrimination case where um, they say, well, look at, I check off all the requirements, but they didn't hire me for whatever reason. Is that um, a potential liability for you as a company? if If you have that kind of requirement section in a posted on a job description
2: no and and and, i mean just to back up first of all when i when i think of those marketing job descriptions i think of them more as job postings okay than i do as job descriptions Uh, but nonetheless i i think as long as those wish list requirements are genuine ones and they are reasonably job related to the actual position
1: yeah
2: i think they're fine okay um you know where you get a disconnect whether it's in the posting or in the that defensive driving job description that we we talked about a moment ago I think the biggest mistake that employers make in this regard is when the posting or the job description does not actually mirror the job itself, Got where it. there's a disconnect between what you're saying the job is and what they're actually doing. The most common kind of disconnect is you're telling the employee that they're going to be spending 30% of their time doing a function that maybe they perform once or twice a year. Uh, so it's really important when you're developing these descriptions or your wish list, go back to the well. Ask those supervisors whose position you're going to be interviewing as subordinate for as, as a subordinate position, how are they actually spending their time? What are those actual needs? And make sure that the posting and the job description reflect reality, and that those requirements that you're asking for in the posting are related to the job that's at hand. So they should mirror each other. Yes, I mean that's that's pretty
1: important. So the job posting, I'll relabel it to posting because I think that's something that um, I think that's a place where a lot of companies fail too is that it's all about kind of who we are, what we need, and what our perks are. I don't know if you've noticed kind of Of that trend, right? So one of the things I just wanted to, on top of this, is add two things that I think will be really helpful in a job posting for companies so that when they put a posting out there, they're able to attract talent that's above and beyond what they're getting, right? Number one, when you start the posting out, there needs to be a hook. It needs to be about the candidate that you're trying to attract. And if you're trying to attract somebody who's passively looking for a job, then you need to touch them somehow. We'll do another show on that a little bit later. But the last thing is a call to action. Have the other components in there, but give them something to to work on, like a homework assignment to get back to you. Have them answer a couple of questions rather than just sending a cover letter. I think that... Um, if you've done a correct posting, right, I've seen the level of talent that we, we get responses from greatly increase, and, and
2: the results have been pretty good for our clients. I, I think that, that those are all excellent points. Yeah. I, I think that at the end of the day, particularly in a tight job market, yeah. uh, and we are facing some tight job markets here, particularly yeah, in Orange County.
1: 4.6% unemployment rate. Yes, so, and, and in the yeah.
2: white-collar area, it's even tighter than that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so... You know, to me, sing the opportunity. Don't just talk about the company itself, yeah. but really focus on what is the opportunity that's being presented to the applicant and why this is something that would be so powerful for their career development and for the upward potential for their own, uh, their own job path. Bam. There you go. All
1: right. So um, that is a great point to leave me with. When you make it about the person and you provide a career path, then you're going to get great people. So we're just about out of time for today's show. Robert, thank you so much for your time investment today. It was great to have you on the
2: show. My pleasure.
1: Now, I'm sure there's going to be some people that are going to want to get a hold of you. Um,
2: what's the best way for them to reach out? So uh, you can absolutely get a hold of me. Again, it's, it's uh, Robert Janowitz over at Fisher Phillips. Uh, my email address is rjanowitz. That's r-y-o-n-o-w-i-t-z at fisherphillips.com. Uh, or you can call it 949-851-2424. And for those of you that do reach out and uh, send me an email, one of the things I'm doing right now is, given the law changes that just happened in January of 2018, uh, employment applications all have to be redone because there's new requirements that the law has put out that says you can't be inquiring into salary history or into uh, prior criminal convictions. And so everybody's job, uh, everybody's uh, employment applications, if they haven't been redone, since January 1, they're probably illegal. Yep. So by all means, if you reach out, I'm happy to send you a free application uh, for you to use in any of your businesses.
1: And they're awesome. So I highly recommend you get in touch with them. So I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team. We have our engineer, Paul Roberts, our producers, Andrea Ballin, Shanti Ryle, and our executive producer, Kim Iverson. To listen to this show and any past episodes, you can check us out on Hire, that's H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, dot com or Higher Power Radio on iTunes. Follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook at the Higher Power Radio Show, or you can follow me at uh, Rick underscore Gerard. So we have another great show lined up for you guys next week. Our guest will be Stephanie Paul, the CEO of Stephanie Paul Inc., so I'll leave that up to your imagination. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the
0: Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard on OC Talk Radio.